Welcome back, college students. How many, uh, how many, how many first-time freshmen we got in the house? Let's go. Be proud of it. Let's go. Welcome, freshmen. Glad you're here. How many, uh, how many recur- returning college students do we have in here? Yeah, buddy. How many, how many of the, how many of the really smart people in the room, the post-grad, the grad students, are in the house? Wow, that was unexpected. Only like one. Okay, all right. They're all sleeping in. Oh, here you go, right in front of my face. Hey, glad you guys are here. Most important question, how many Spartans we got? Let's go. Go green. Uh, also an important question, how many LCC, Lansing Community College people we got? Yes, let's go. Go Stars. Go Stars. Hey, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new, here's what you need to know about our church. So September 2019 is when this church was started. So Actually, two weeks from today, we celebrate our four-year birthday. We are part of a network of churches called the SALT Network. And uh, the vision of our network is we are a family of churches that wants to plant multi-generational churches in every major university context throughout North America. And that's our vision because we believe unapologetically that the most strategic group of people we can reach if we want to be a part of quickly getting the gospel to the next place as college students. And so you need to know... That when this church was planted, we would not have started this church here if Michigan State and LCC was not here. You also need to know this. This is the most important thing. Uh, You need to know that in our network, this church is the first church that was started in Michigan. And that's because uh, Michigan State is like unarguably uh, the most prestigious university that does exist in the state of Michigan. Uh, So then this past fall, we helped start uh, a church at... Um, a much less prestigious school down the road in Ann Arbor, and we're thankful for that as well. So they have a salt company there. But all that said, this is the most important thing about us. Our number one value as a church is the gospel. Jesus is the main thing uh, and always will be. We don't mean to oversimplify it, but it really is that simple. If you come to this church, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. It is his life, death, resurrection, and return that sets us free from sin and sets us loose to discover our purpose. Uh, you, you need to know the only thing that's special about us is that we know Jesus. Beyond that, we are very common people, hence the name, uh, the Commons Church. We've all got problems. Uh, we've all got weird quirks. We've all got junk in our life that we're not proud of, and we all desperately need Jesus to save us and change our hearts. Um, none of you are here by accident. In fact, I don't know why like, you're here this morning. I, I would imagine for some of you college students, it's the free Chick-fil-A. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe mom texted you, said, hey, you better text me a picture of you at church this morning or I'm going to tell dad to stop sending tuition checks. Um, you know, maybe you went to one of the, the salt company parties this week, which, uh, you know, if you're new, you are figuring this out. You're going to know this salt company throws the best parties at Michigan State. Uh, the, the Greek system has no, nothing on salt company. How many was at pancake party the other night? My wife and I, we tried to show up, but we drove by, could not find parking within like a half a mile. And we we're like, now we're too lazy. We're not going to walk. Uh, but Pancake Party, I, we saw the videos. If you guys know Caleb Mitchell um, and you see him today, just give him a very gentle hug. He's probably pretty sore after what happened at Pancake Party. I wish I, I should have I thrown up a video of that. But listen, I don't know why you're here, but I would imagine that some of you, you came this morning because you're already in a desperate place. You don't, you don't look like it on the surface because you, you cleaned up nice. You got a smile on your face, Uh, but even though classes haven't started yet, 
I, I would imagine that some of you, you're here, you're already desperate for something better than what you thought going away to college would get you. In fact, on Wednesday morning, so students starting to move in Monday and Tuesday, uh, this city just totally changed, you know, Tuesday. Wednesday morning is the morning that our elder team meets here pretty early, and so 5 a.m., I'm driving down Grand River Avenue, and I drive past the hub, the apartments on Bogue Street, and I see this girl walking out at 5 a.m., it's still dark out, uh, hardly clothed, carrying some of her clothes in her shoes, and just this look of total sadness on her face. And as I'm driving, it just hit me like, oh, I wonder how many students have already made decisions this past week that will mark them for the rest of their life. And I, I know some of you, you're, you're here already carrying brokenness and guilt and confusion over what's even just happened this last week. And I'm telling you that the marks of the bad decisions that you have made do not have to be the defining thing of your life. Jesus, his love, his grace, his power, and the freedom and eternal life that he offers, that can be the thing that defines you. And, and if this is your first time, you need to hear this. Those of us who call this church our home, those of us who call ourselves Christian, we're not here because we think we're better than everybody else out there. We're here because we're broken just like everyone else out there, but in here we have found true freedom. In here we have found true life. In here we have found true joy and true fulfillment that comes only through Jesus. And we want you and we want everybody out there to find it too. So that, that said, let's, let's open up God's word. This is where we find it. We're going to open up God's word every week in here. And in fact, you guys ready to start a new series? Those of you who've been coming here for a while, you ready to start a new series? So if, if you're new, this is what we do. Uh, more often than not, like way more often than not, we just take a book of the Bible and, uh, and we just work through it very systematically, verse by verse. So we just finished uh, a couple weeks ago a 40-week study through the, through the book of Mark. Uh, we started it this time last year, uh, took 40 weeks through it. Uh, so today we're starting a new series. You guys ready? What, what's your guess on the, on the series that we're studying? What's your best guess? Come on, throw it out. Somebody said Leviticus. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Esther. Esther, nope. Okay, everybody's going Old Testament on me here. All right, well, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 1, if you don't, it'll be on the screens. And listen, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one for free. Uh, we believe that uh, this word, in fact, Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, and, and truly, like in the same way our bodies need food, our souls need God's word. And so we want you to have access to this. And so if you don't have a Bible uh, that you can mark up and underline and have, we want to give you one for free. You can stop by our next steps table, which is just back there. Uh, so Romans chapter one, verse one. If you got it, let me, let me hear you say, I got it. All right, it says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, let's just have a little quiz here, starting now. Let's test our reading comprehension. You know, I'm, classes start, what, tomorrow? And so we got to get kind of back into the, the swing of ac academia. So reading comprehension. Uh, who, according to what we just read, who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Okay, so when we study the Bible, it's really important that we draw out the meaning from the passage, not put in the meaning to the passage. 
That's really, that's really critical. In fact, uh, two fancy words I'm going to give you, exegesis and eisegesis. We want to do exegesis, like think exit sign, that prefix ex means out. So we want to exegete the text, pull out the, the meaning from the text. The only reason I give you those two words is to make myself sound smart, because I'm not really, and I just want you to think I am, especially you new people. So exegesis and eisegesis. So if we're going to draw the meaning out of the text, which by the way, culture likes to do eisegesis, Culture likes to decide what they think or what it, you know, they think the text is saying. That's not what we want to do. We want to pull it out from the text because this text is our authority. We're not the authority over it, okay? So if we're going to draw the meaning out of the text, like what is actually happening here, like what does it actually say, there are some things we've got to know first, like who wrote it and like who is it written to and like why was it written? So guess what? That's the next three weeks. So as we're studying Romans, here's what we're going to do. It's going to take us a while, but we're going to split it up into these mini-series, and we're going to take some breaks in between and hit some other things, uh, but we're starting out with the mini-series Romans chapter zero, and the subtitle is this, a powerful man, a powerful city, and a powerful gospel. So the letter to the Romans was written by this dude named Paul. And to know who Paul was, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 9. So go to Acts 9, and we're pretty much done with Romans today. So Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read kind of the whole story so you can see it all at once, and then we're going to chop it up together. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues, at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, talking about Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, verse 3, now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, so his little entourage, stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground and all those eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, not the same guy who was killed in chapter 5. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. So go to Grand River Ave. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, like probably all of us would, Lord, I've heard from many about this guy. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, he obeyed, and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, 
and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So go back to verse 1 of Acts 9. The very first two words, it says, but Saul. Saul was another name for Paul. Uh, Saul was Paul's uh, Jewish name. Paul was Saul's Roman name. Honestly, not super important that you know why he had those names, uh, but what's important is you know we're talking about the same person. So Saul and Paul, same dude. But it says, but Saul. You've got to understand the significance of, of what's happening here. So something's happened before it, now we get, but Saul. So right before this, in Acts chapter 8, we see the gospel, the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to pay for our sins, to set us free from our sins. Like this good news, we see it being preached, and people are coming to faith, and people's lives are being like dramatically changed by it. These stories are super cool, really cool. And I'm sure that as the early Christians are passing these stories around, uh, Acts chapter 8, we see all these Samaritans coming to faith in Christ. We see this Ethiopian eunuch come to faith in Christ. I'm sure as they're passing these stories around, people are like amazed and super encouraged. It's like baptism Sundays here when people get up and they publicly share how God has changed their life, which little, little public service announcement here, September 17th, that's our next baptism Sunday. Uh, and some of you, that's your next step. Like God's changed your life. Maybe it happened over the summer. Maybe it's happened in the past six months. Maybe it happened yesterday. And so your next step is to publicly tell us that so we can celebrate with you, encourage you, and come alongside you. But that's what's happening. These people are being encouraged. So then we get to uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, but Saul. It's like he's saying, but then there was Saul. All this cool stuff happening. But then there was Saul. Saul was notorious. Saul was powerful. And you need to know this. Saul was feared by everybody who would have been reading this 2,000 years ago when it was written. In fact, look at verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, so the dude with the authority, and asked him for letters to the synagogues uh, at Damascus or permission so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wanted to arrest them. So it says he was still killing or trying to kill Christians. He was still hunting them down. And dragging them back to Jerusalem where he could throw them into prison. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter, three, or Acts chapter 8, verse 3, so the chapter before this, it says, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And by the way, it says this right after in chapter 7, we see Saul standing there giving the approval of the murder of this guy named Stephen, who was one of the key leaders in the early church. So he's killing Christians, and now he's ravaging the church, and now Acts 9, he's still doing the same thing. So we get a brief break from this in chapter 8. We see these people coming to faith. We see this Ethiopian comes to faith, and then chapter 9, we're hit with the reality that even though this great stuff was happening, people coming to faith, Saul was still wrecking the church. It's almost like the guy who wrote Acts, this doctor named Luke, it's almost like he's saying, okay, God was saving a bunch of people, but what about Saul? What was God going to do about Saul? And, and I want to pause here for a second. I wonder how many of you, you're asking the same question this morning about yourself. Yeah, but what about me? Like, that's cool that God saves people. That's cool that God changes people. But what about me? You know what I think is one of the hardest things for people when it comes to showing up at church? 
I think a lot of times at church, it can feel like everyone around you has their life figured out and, and, and all put together perfectly. And, and you're sitting here trying to best fit in, look the part, not stand out, but man, you're like, if, if people just knew, if people just knew what was underneath the layers, if people just knew what I was hiding behind this smile and hiding behind just, you know, getting dressed up and looking nice, I don't think people would want me here. Like, it can feel that way sometimes at church. Like, some of you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I'm glad God seems to save these people that are sitting around me. Like, I'm glad that God seemed, seems to have changed these people sitting around me. I'm glad that God seems to be using the people around me, but what about me? Can he do that with someone like me who doesn't have their life all figured out and put together? Can he do that with somebody like me who has the track record like I have? Can he do that with someone like me who, oh my gosh, I can't believe my pastor saw me walking out of that guy's apartment on Wednesday morning. What about me? And listen, if that's you saying that, wondering that, and I know we got a lot of people in this room you're in that place. you got to know what Paul would write later on in his life about what we just read in Acts chapter 9. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says this. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And listen to verse 16. He says, But I received mercy for this reason. This is why God saved me, he says. That in me, as the foremost, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, God did what he did in Paul so that you could see what he can do in you. And so what did he do in Paul? Well, most simply put, he did three things. God saved Paul. God changed Paul. And God used Paul. And I want to show you all three of these just in Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9, going back to verse 1, it says, But Saul, or Paul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, Now, as he went on his way... Listen, you should underline that phrase. Now, as he went on his way, listen, God saved Paul, but you got to see this. He saved him as he went on his way. What was Paul on his way to do? Yes, arrest Christians, kill Christians. This is the moment that Jesus saves Paul. Was, was Paul on his way to church? No. Was Paul on his way to cleaning up his life? No. Was Paul on his way to talk to the pastor and ask questions about Jesus? No. No, Paul was on his way to hunt and kill Christians. Jesus saved Paul right in the middle of his sin, and Jesus wants to do the same for you. Look, we're starting this series through Romans by looking at Acts 9 because knowing who wrote Romans will help us to understand Romans, and look at what Romans says. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Listen, God doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves. If that's how it worked, then God would be waiting forever and none of us would ever be saved. God did what he did in Paul so that you could see what he can do in you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. And better, better put, honestly, it doesn't matter what I care about. God doesn't care who you are or what you've done. Jesus can rescue you from your sin today. And so for those of you in this room who keep saying, man, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say yes to Jesus. Why? Because I need to, I need to do some work on myself first. I need to clean up a little bit more first. I need to get to a place in this part of my life first. If that's you, stop it. God did not send Jesus to reward you for good behavior. God sent Jesus to rescue you from your sin. God saved Paul, and and if he can save Paul, he can save you. He will save you, and you need him to save you. So let's keep going because there's more. So God saved Paul. God also changed Paul. So again, verse 3, it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it says, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. All of a sudden, this bright light flashes around him, and it completely catches him off guard. Okay, so I know that, like, video game, talking video games for a minute, I know that, like, uh, I think, that, like, Fortnite and... Um, Gosh, there's another game that starts with the letter V. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Valorant? Is that, a, is that a game? Those are kind of the popular games today, right? Ish? Does anybody still play Call of Duty? Okay, a few people still play Call of Duty. You're like, can I confess this in church? Like, uh... Okay, so this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidebar here. Doesn't have much to do with the sermon, but... So I graduated college a while ago, and... And then I moved to uh, Lubbock, Texas, which is where Texas Tech University is. I, I did college ministry there. And um, when I moved, I thought I'm going to, uh, I, I thought I came up with a great ministry idea. I'm going to go potluck with roommates and move in with like three other dudes who I don't know. Anybody ever done that? Like anybody doing that now? Like you moved in with three other people or a couple other people that you don't know. Is that still a thing? People move in with roommates you don't know? Okay. I get some head shaking here. Uh, yeah, how's that working out, by the way? Uh, <laughs> it did not work good for me. I thought it was like, I'm going to you know, have three lost dudes in my apartment, and it's going to be great. I hated living with these guys. They were the worst. Uh, but one of, one of them owned an Xbox, and, so, uh, and he played Call of Duty. And so prior to this, I wasn't a gamer at all. Uh, but I got hooked on, on Call of Duty. And so I started playing Call of Duty all the stinking time until this one Saturday I realized I had a real problem. Uh, Saturday morning, got up around 9 o'clock, and uh, got some breakfast, and then sat down, started playing Call of Duty. And uh, I mean, I just disappeared into the game. And I didn't get up to uh, do anything uh, until six o'clock that night, uh, because I had to pee and I was hungry. So I got up, went to the restroom, made some quick food uh, around six, and then I sat back down and I kept playing. And just didn't even like really think about the fact I had sat there from nine to six, uh, and then kept playing. And then I didn't get up again because, again, I had to pee and was hungry. And I looked at the clock, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 2 a.m. And it hit me. I was like, I have a problem. Like, I'm holding the controller. I'm like, I have a problem, you know, and I just set the <laughs> controller down. So I, I just, like, I, you know, I cut Call of Duty pretty much out of my life. It was a slow weaning off of it. But I'm, I'm a healed man. I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm Call of Duty free now for many years. Uh, 
but, but I say this because, all right, when I envision what we hear in verses 3 and 4 of Acts 9, all right, all of a sudden this light, and he was blinded, and he falls down. Like, it's almost like Paul, probably riding a donkey or something, and his entourage, they're riding through or on the way to Damascus, and they ride right into this ambush. And God jumps out from behind this bush and throws this flashbang in his face. You Call of Duty people know what I'm talking about. And, and, and picture this, like, you know the flashbang, when it hits and explodes, all of a sudden, you can't see anything, you're kind of like off balance, and then there's that ringing in your ears. I imagine that's what happens. It blows him off of his donkey, falls off, flashbang, boom, now he can't see anything, and he's got this ringing in his ears. Now, I want you to picture this moment, like, for real. Because, I mean, it's important when you're reading the Bible, put yourself in the text, engage as many of the senses as you can. So, it says, suddenly there was this light, and he was blinded by it. He fell off his donkey, or he fell. Uh, I mean, imagine this. You ever been in a dark room, and all of a sudden, this light gets turned on? What do you do? Like, show me with your face. What do you do? You do that, you know? Uh, you're, you're taking a picture in the dark. Somebody uses their flash. What do you do? Ah, oh, I can't see anything now, you know? Or you've been asleep, and it's still dark out, dark in the room. Somebody comes in, flips on a light. What do you do? So, uh, 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 my, my wife, Leslie, she's sitting way back there because um, all y'all took front seats, but it's cool. Uh, my <laughs> wife, she uh, sometimes, actually oftentimes, it's really weird, she will sleep with the covers over her head completely like this, and, uh, which I'm always like, man, should I check, make sure she's still breathing in there? Because it's hard for me to breathe when I'm like that under the covers. Anybody else sleep like that completely under the covers? Well, she, she does this, and Early in our marriage, like we had just gotten married, she's sleeping like this, which I already was like, man, that's kind of weird. And there's this one morning that we had to get up early, and I got up first, and it was still dark. And so I flip on the light, and no joke, like we're a few weeks into marriage here, this is what she does. She's completely covered up. I flip on the light, it's bright in there all of a sudden, and she goes like this. <laughs> and then just covers her face back up, and I'm like, oh my gosh. What did I just, like, marry into, you know? Like, I found a way to draw the demons out of her, you know? But I, but I say that because, okay, initially, when you've been in a dark room for a while and the lights are suddenly flipped on, it hurts. Your eyes are adjusted to the dark. You get hit with the light, and it hurts. Well, listen to what some other scripture says, John 3, 19 to 20. It says, and this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And it says the light has come into the world. What is that light? Or better said, who is that light? Yeah, John eight twelve says, Jesus talking, he says, I am the light of the world. So follow me here. Sin thrives in darkness. It thrives in darkness because it can hide there and not be seen for what it really is. So the only reason that a person, the only reason that any of us in this room like sin is because we're living in darkness. We can't see in the darkness how disgusting and how harmful and how horrible it actually is. But here Jesus is the light of the world. The moment that he steps into our lives it actually hurts first before it feels good. Because in the same way that when the lights get flipped on suddenly in a dark room, it stings your eyes, it initially stings our hearts 
when Jesus, the light of the world, suddenly steps into our lives. Why? Because his light suddenly exposes our sin for what it really is. And the result is our hearts feel a deep conviction. And it's in that moment we realize the difficult truth about our depraved situation. And, by the way, it's not until that moment that our hearts are ready to really consider the question, who are you, Lord? Just like Paul does in verse 5. Listen to me, one of the first signs and one of the continual reminders that Jesus, the light of the world, is at work in your life is that you are disgusted by your sin. Or another way to say that is you feel conviction when you sin, which leads to a question, is this happening in your life? Is this happening in your life? God changed Paul. And he did so by first exposing his sin. But, but keep going because more happens. You go to verse, verse 5 now. So Paul said, or Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, so he's exposing the sin. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Which, by the way, this isn't in my notes, just hit me right now. Some of you, when God gets a hold of your heart, he's going to get a hold of your heart in a moment, but not your friend circle's heart. And it's going to be really hard to follow Jesus because they're going to be like, what is going on? I have no idea what you're talking about here. But here you are feeling the conviction of sin because Jesus, the light has stepped into your life, but not theirs yet. And you're going to be faced with a decision. Do I follow Jesus? Or do I stick with my entourage? So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So in verses 1 through 2, what was Saul on his way to do? He was on his way to hunt and kill Christians. But here we are, verses 8 and 9. And now in verses 8 and 9, what is Saul doing? He's following Jesus now. Notice the change in direction in Saul's life. I mean, eventually what we're going to see is that he goes from persecuting those who follow Jesus to being one of the ones following Jesus. He goes from persecuting to proclaiming. The gospel changes us, which again leads to a question. Has there been a change of direction in your life? Honestly, this is the piece of the equation that usually rats out the fake Christians. There's a lot of people who can say all the right things. They can even explain all the right things, but there's not been a change of direction in their life. It's impossible to have Jesus, the light of the world, step into your life and you continue in the same direction you were headed before. When God saves somebody, there's always a directional change in their life. So God saves Paul. He also changes Paul. And if God can change Paul, he can change you. And he will change you. And you need him to change you. But keep going, because again, there's one more thing I need to show you. So God, he saved Paul. God, he changed Paul. And also God, he used Paul. So you get to verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street, called straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my... Like Jesus doesn't even say, man, I hear you. I feel you. No, he just says, go. Like some parents in the room with little kids, you can relate to that. I hear you. I, no, go. <laughs> go to bed. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you, 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 so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So before we get to the last thing I want to show you, first you've got to see this. Can you imagine being in Ananias' shoes? Like, can you imagine being asked to do what he was being asked to do. Can you imagine what Ananias was thinking when Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I want you to now go find this dude who wants to kill you, or at least you would think wants to kill you based on his reputation. I want you to go find him and tell him about me. Can you imagine what he was thinking? We know what he was thinking. Verse 13 and 14, he says, Lord, I've heard heard from many about this man. He's got a far-reaching reputation. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, and Lord, he's got authority. Like, he has permission. He has the power from the most powerful to arrest anybody who's following you. We see what he's thinking. He's like, man, I don't want to go. Surely you got people mixed up on who you want me to go to. Which there's a big truth that we got to see in this. And it's don't discount what God can do in another person's life. Like, I'm just going to guess that there's some people in your life that for whatever reason, you're telling Jesus what Ananias wanted to tell Jesus when Jesus told him to go to Saul. Like, there are people in your life that Jesus is telling you to go find and lead to him, but you're saying, no! (laughs) No way you could do that in his life. But think about this. What might have happened if Ananias didn't go? I mean, here's who Saul ended up becoming, I mean, Saul, Paul, he, he ended up becoming the, the guy that God would use to get the gospel to what they saw as the ends of the earth in their day. In fact, today, you and I, we're standing here as a result, in some effect, of Paul's ministry 2,000 years ago. Like, would we even know Jesus if Ananias didn't go to Paul 2,000 years ago? And knowing that's the effect it could have had if Ananias didn't go, what might happen if you don't go? All right, so we keep going. And again, verse 19 says, Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed. Immediately he proclaimed. Listen, God saved Paul. God changed Paul. God used Paul. And you got to hear this. We say this often here. When Jesus saves you, he sends you. Jesus doesn't save you to sit you. 
Jesus saves you to send you. In fact, I mean, as soon as Jesus knocks Paul off of his donkey and he's laying there on the ground and Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he exposes the sin. I'm the one that you've been persecuting. He doesn't say, keep laying there. He says, no, rise and go. And you look at verse 20. What does it say? It says, and immediately he proclaimed. What happens after Saul is changed by Jesus? He immediately goes from persecuting to proclaiming. God, he sends Saul. And the pattern that we see here in Acts chapter 9 is the same pattern we see in what I think is the most clear and concise explanation of the gospel in the Bible, and it's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul, who wrote it, he says, but you were dead in your sin. Ephesians 2, 4, but God makes you alive. And then Ephesians 2, 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God saves us, he changes us, and he uses us, he sends us. God used Paul. And if God can use Paul, he can use you. And listen, he will use you. So God did what he did in Paul so that you and I could see what he can do in us. God saved Paul, he changed Paul, and he used Paul. Now the big question is, what does God want you to do as a result of what you've heard today? And I just want to pause for a second. And I want to speak to the college students in the room. I'm so glad that you've come this morning. And and here's what I... I know is going to happen for some of you. Some of you, like, you're here today, and some of you, like a, lot of, like, a lot of you, you're going to keep on coming. A lot of you are going to keep on coming. But some of you, like, you're here today, you're going to get your Chick-fil-A, and we won't see you for a long time. But I want to tell you now, we will see you again. Because here's what's going to happen. And I want you to avoid this from happening. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave, and you're going to go, and oh, I'm finally out from the regime of mom and dad. And I'm going to spread my wings. I'm going to explore. I'm going to experience life. Finally, I'm away at college. And what you're going to do to yourself as you run from the Lord is you're going to spend one, two, three, maybe even four years of just like making decisions and saying yes to things and no to Jesus. It's going to mark your life in a way that you don't want your life to be marked. And by God's grace, somewhere along the way, year one, year two, year three, he's going to step into your life, knock you off your donkey. And the light is going to expose what's been hidden in the darkness this whole time. You thought what you were doing was like fulfilling and life-giving, but the light is going to step in and expose that the sin that was hidden in the darkness is actually killing you. And you're going to come back two years later, three years later, four years later. And I'm saying this to you because I want to save you from that. I want to save you from that. God, he wants to step into your life now. He doesn't want that for you. He's got something better for you. And he can do in your life the same thing that he did in Paul's life. The same thing that he's done in my life. The same thing that he's done in many people's lives in this room. He can save you. He can change you. And I'm telling you, he can. He will use you like crazy. So what does he want you to do today as a result of what you've heard? And this isn't just for the students in the room. This is for everybody in the room. I I, want to say this. For some of you today, what you are to do is to say yes to Jesus. 
Say yes to Jesus. God wants to save you, and he can, and he will. God didn't send Jesus to reward you for your good works. He sent Jesus to rescue you from your sin. Some of you today need to say yes to Jesus. For some of you, your next step is to actually get into a connection group. That's what we call our small groups here, and here's why. You, you, you got to hear the truth that when God saves somebody, there's always a directional change in your life. Which leads to that question, has that directional change happened in your life? Is there conviction over sin in your life? And one of the greatest ways that we walk through and respond to the changes God is making in our lives is in community with other Christians who can encourage us in that and help us in that. So for some of you today, it's realizing God wants to change you. He's trying to change you. But you're walking in isolation And he's designed it to where we walk in community with other believers who also are being changed, some further ahead than us, who can help us respond to the change that God wants to do in our life. For some of you, it's getting into a connection group, which clear next step there is, on that QR code on the seat back in front of you, there's a link uh, that says join a connection group. And over the next couple weeks, you're going to have other opportunities to do that, but why wait? Do it now. And then others of you, your next step is to realize that God wants to use you. And so for you, that is to be obedient to what he's calling you to. Like he called Ananias, he's calling you. And like Ananias obeyed, your response is to obey.